welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast from Women's, Wealth, Women's Health Melbourne with Dr. Raylia Lou. Welcome, Raylia. Hi. Cheery topic today. Well, it's a bit of a sad topic. It's total fertilisation failure. I mean, it sounds sad. I don't really know what it is, but it sounds sad. Well, total fertilisation failure is a massive shock when it happens, yeah. often. Yes. Something that's in the fine print of every IVF clinic's consent form, talking about the lab, it's when you put sperm and egg together and you don't make any embryos. So this is everything is working? Um, it's a disaster when it happens and, and it can happen in lots of different scenarios. Um, so it can happen when it's unsuspected, so, so unexplained infertility. So what I'm saying is like say the sperm looks good, the eggs look good, but together they don't fertilise. Look, not always. I mean, it can happen when we know there's issues already. Yeah. But yeah, it can happen. So basically, it happens statistically in 5 to 10% of IVF cycles. And IVF meaning, you know, when we put sperm and egg next to each other. And so the, I guess the assumption would be that your specialist will have assessed everything, yeah. including what the sperm looks like, how it swims, how many there are, and made the consideration that on the basis of those factors, it looks like it probably should work. And then the sperm's given in the lab, it's um, optimised further and placed next to each egg in high concentration. And, um, but that's what's meant by IVF standard insemination. IVF stands for in vitro fertilisation. So technically um, IVF with standard insemination is what we're talking about here. So it's 5 to 10% of those cycles we find out that actually it is a sperm and egg getting together issue and unfortunately there's just no other tests that we can do from the beginning to know that. But that will happen until, until we Yeah, try. but it can also happen in ICSI cycles and ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection and that's when we anticipate there is a sperm problem yes. and we inject a single sperm into each egg. And, um, but for total fertilisation, failure happens in 1% to 3% of ICSI cycles as well. So basically what total fertilisation failure means is that you get to the point where you've gone through IVF stimulation for the woman, so two weeks of injections mm-hmm. and cycle monitoring. Yeah. And you get to the point where you've had your trigger, you've had your egg collection procedure. You know how many eggs have been collected the sperm's been collected, optimised and either put next to or injected into the eggs. Mm -hmm. And the next day, the scientist in the lab has a look at the eggs again and what they're looking for in terms of signs of fertilisation is the stage where you see two what we call pronuclei, the the male and the female DNA expanding and joining and um, that's what we call a syngamy check. And um, it's, um, it's not happening. So then basically as a fertility specialist, if that happens to one of my patients, I get a phone call. I get a phone call from the lab and um, I have that unfortunate kind of task of giving the patient a call and, and letting them know that it's happened. Now, sometimes, rarely, you can have late fertilisation. So it can happen a little bit later and even the same day but just a bit later. And that can happen because, you know, the sperm and egg have taken just a little bit of time longer to get their mojo on. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with the embryo per se, but often late fertilisation may mean that the embryo hasn't been a good embryo. Yeah. 
because um, things have just taken a lot longer. And you won't know that until it's been inserted? Well, what happens then, I mean, this is looking at the very first stage of looking at embryos in the microscope. It's actually quite helpful using the embryoscope, which is a video monitored um, incubator, because you can then know exactly how many hours, you know, later the syngamy event occurred. So you can retrospectively analyse it in a bit more detail. But um, in terms of watching the embryos further, not every fertilised egg goes on to be an embryo and not every embryo goes on to be a blastocyst, which is the stage at day five that we do a transfer. So when you have a total failure of fertilisation, even if you get a late fertilisation of one embryo, it may not make it all the way to getting transferred. So it's a bit of a devastating piece of news for a patient. Um, so one of the problems with grading sperm is that we don't really do any standard functional tests of how sperm performs. Right. So what we do with our sperm analysis, our semen analysis, is we, we use criteria from the World Health Organization that was developed in 2010. Okay. And what they did was the lab there took about 4,000 plus samples from men over several continents whose, pa whose partners had um, conceived naturally within an acceptable time frame, within 12 months of, of trying naturally. Um, and they looked at their sperm and they kind of considered the cutoffs at the fifth centile for that fertile population of men. So it basically, when you look at your sperm compared to a semen analysis, a man can see how his sperm looks compared to the values achieved by the kind of the lowest centiles of that fertile population of men. And that's really all the semen analysis tells us. And as a specialist, you make an assumption, and sometimes it can be a wrong assumption, that if the sperm looks similar to the sperm of fertile men in terms of the absolute concentrational count, how many um, percentage of the sperm are swimming forward. And so the count of sperm? Yeah, the, mo the motility, so the, the movement, yep. uh, how they're swimming, and progressive motility means swimming forward. Yep. And also the morphology, which is how many sperm look completely normal. Okay. And so the cutoff values for the fifth centile of that population is, is what we use as saying, okay, you're within the normal range. But it's actually not a test of whether the sperm can do the job in fertilising an egg. It's that they look like they could. They look like the, the sperm of men who have done the deed, so to speak. Yeah. And the problem with that is that we don't yet have sophisticated tests for some really critical problems in, in, in fertility for the male, like sperm binding to egg. And furthermore, when there is a sperm binding problem, we actually don't know in a given couple if it's a problem with the sperm that would happen with any egg a problem with the egg that would happen with any sperm or a problem specific to the kind of key and lock mechanism that matches for this particular couple. Yeah. So sometimes um, what we learn from a total fertilisation failure when we've used standard insemination in IVF is that we needed to use ICSI. Yeah. Which is um, the one-by-one one approach. Yes, it's when you take a sperm and you inject it into each yeah. egg. So I guess the question arises, why wouldn't we just do ICSI all the time? Um, and there are, there are good reasons not to. 
So, for example, ICSI has been associated with some abnormalities in babies that standard insemination hasn't been associated with. So they're, they're rare, but there are some rare problems that are particularly associated with ICSI. Um, an example is uh, imprinting disorder, so it can change what we call the epigenome of the embryo. It can change how the DNA is, is packaged with the proteins when we do ICSI. An example is a syndrome called Prader-Willi syndrome or Angelman syndrome, where um, the DNA inherited from the mum and dad is turned on and off in the wrong way. So normal DNA, but a problem with how it's activated. These are rare things. So the risk of the risk of this is, you know, really small, but it is more common with ICSI than with natural. Yeah, than with standard insemination in IVF. So, but what that shows is that ICSI can potentially cause harm. Yeah. And if it's needed, absolutely. But if it isn't, we don't tend to use it. And the other thing about ICSI is that. By poking each egg with a needle, you will unfortunately damage some eggs. We do our best not to damage eggs by knowing exactly where the best spot is to inject and things like that. But still, just the act of poking an egg with a needle can cause the egg to degenerate, so you can lose that egg, whereas standard insemination is much more gentle. Um, The other reason not to do ICSI on everybody, I suppose, is cost. There's there's an increased time and expertise required for ICSI per per patient, per cycle, and um, there's a Medicare item number charged for ICSI for every cycle to the government every time we do it in the lab. So, you know, it's one of those, like every item number in Medicare, we should use them when they're needed, but we shouldn't use them arbitrarily. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's why when we anticipate that it's most likely that fertilisation could potentially happen, that we don't use ICSI. But in some cases we get it wrong, and that's what... um, what happens with total fertilisation failure. Um, In terms of how can we do it better next time, it becomes quite difficult if it's an ICSI cycle and you've had total fertilisation failure. There's not much more to try. Well, there are some things to try, but uh, um, it can become due to issues related to... I mean, ICSI can overcome issues related to sperm egg penetration and... And, and fusion and binding and, and also when too many sperm goes, go in at a time, which is called polyspermy. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't actually fix downstream issues after that. So if the issue is related to actually piercing the shell of the egg, yep. then ICSI can overcome it. Um, there's a pro- if it's a sperm problem, there's a process called IMSI, which is when you look at the sperm under an ultra-high-power magnification, looking through a digital microscope and um, using that extra technology to select sperm. So, again, the question, why don't we just do that all the time? Well, it's very time-consuming and in an unselected population, it's of no advantage. So it hasn't been proven to have a benefit. If it's used in a standard population, its only benefit is um, potentially if ICSI itself hasn't worked, remembering that quite high-powered microscopes are used anyway mm-hmm. when we do ICSI. And IMSI is really when we're looking at the, really the internal micro-architecture of the sperm when we suspect that there's a serious sperm problem. Yeah. Um, we can also work on the egg side of things in total fertilisation failure. So it might be that there's an oocyte maturity issue, that the egg hasn't kicked out the final package of DNA and that's maybe why fertilisation hasn't happened. 
So changing the ovarian stimulation regimen for a particular patient, changing the way we trigger, sometimes changing the timing of trigger, the coasting between when you have your trigger injection and when you have your egg collection, these things can be looked at and manipulated by a fertility specialist. And again, it's very important that, um, you know, that I guess patients and doctors acknowledge that for some fertility specialists have CREI training because, um, you know, especially when you're kind of going outside the box and, you know, outside a standardised protocol. Yes. Um, that's, that's not working for you and you've got yeah, to go the next yeah, step. Yeah. yeah, that's where you get a real advantage when you have someone who's, who's, who's further trained. Um, so, you know, I guess when ICSI fails, there's a fundamental problem and the problem is either with egg or sperm or both. And it's a bit of a problem-solving situation. And um, sometimes it can't be solved. And then we have to talk about kind of donor territory, whether we use donor egg or donor sperm or donor embryo. But there are some things that we can do to try and activate the processes of um, fertilisation from the egg's point of view. Mm -hmm. So there can be uh, artificial oocyte activation techniques. So um, you can use a modified ICSI treatment, which is called cytoplasmic agitation. Um, just to try and use movement to get the process going, kind of. A, yeah. But again, it has an increased risk of oocyte degeneration and damage to eggs, so it's, it's a trade-off there. Um, or you can use calcium ionophores, which are little kind of... Um, it's a chemical way of activating the oocyte but, um, and stirring up the molecular action. But um, again, that's experimental. Whenever I have a patient in that situation where I'm thinking about calcium ionophore, I have a consent form from Melbourne IVF that um, explains that this is an experimental technique that we don't have longitudinal, long-term safety data. Yes. Um, and we don't know what the effects may be downstream as IVF babies get older. I mean, in terms of... We're talking about really a very, very niche, tiny subset of the IVF population who we'd consider doing this for. Yeah. So um, it's, it is really still an unproven technique yeah. with some yeah, purported benefit. Yeah. And it's a risk. So always that has to be explained. Um, and then, yeah, we talked about when, when things don't work, when there's total, total fertilisation failure, as can happen even when fertilisation occurs but no embryos of, of usable, kind of a usable nature develop in IVF, that a discussion about donor egg, donor sperm or both has to be had and... Um, that in itself can be a very difficult topic mm. to talk about. So at best, with total fertilisation failure, it's important to step back, have a really good think and a really good analysis of all of the potential issues that could be going wrong, what can be done to change things, um, and um, then um, take it to the lab. I always, with um, my own patients, I do involve a multidisciplinary team and talk to our lab scientists about what they think went wrong in the lab, if there was something that went wrong in the lab. Um, but often it's just the fact that the egg and sperm have fundamentally serious things wrong with them and that has a lot to do with the couple's reason for needing IVF in the first place. So, you know, I guess the take-home message is the first IVF cycle is also diagnostic for your doctor as well as therapeutic. So what I mean by that is that you learn a lot as a doctor from how the eggs and sperm goes. get together and it may be that ICSI is needed and, and that it wasn't evident on tests done in your fertility workup. Yeah. So there's 
been a few acronyms and big words used here before, so I'll include in the description a, a bit of a summary on what they are, so, so that you know what Raylia is referring to, because um, it's quite complicated. But thank you, Raylia. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Knocked Up, the podcast about getting pregnant. For more information about Raylia, Women's Health Melbourne and how to get pregnant, please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or find us on the socials under Women's Health Melbourne or you can send an email with any future episode requests to podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. See you next week.